Hi, and welcome to another episode of Humans Aren't Robots. I'm your host, Sam Davies. And this week, we are live from South Stud again with another mashup. If you haven't been listening to the season so far, we've been trying to shake things up a bit. Each discussion has a theme, and we have done, uh, pulled several conversations from, from South Start last year. We're a few episodes into this new style, so if you have been listening, or even if this is your first episode, I'd love to hear what you think about the format, uh, or if you've got anything that you'd like to add to the conversation. One of the things that I really find from these from these conversations and trying to sort of pull themes from these conversations that I had is that there is so much more to explore. And in the coming seasons of Humans Aren't Robots, we're going to take a deeper dive into some of these key themes that we do talk about uh, as a part of thinking about the future of business and and how people fit into modern creative business practices. So in this episode, we are focusing on community and purpose. Uh, in the episode, I speak to uh, Emma Weston, Sally Ann Williams, Catherine Boychuk, and Nicole Dyson. If you've listened to some of the other episodes, you'd be familiar with some of these uh, incredible humans. Uh, they have a wide variety of backgrounds, um, a couple in education, uh, agriculture, and then also in the startup space uh, and talking about how community and purpose uh, bleeds into the type of business they do. This is something that I am really, really interested in. And I think increasingly sort of forming my own mind around what purpose means. Purpose is one of these buzzwords, purpose, purpose, purpose. But what does that actually mean for you know your average modern human in the workplace? I really had a bit of a, I think, realization a few years ago that purpose doesn't have to be about saving the world I, I i was constantly sort of coming up against and meeting some incredible people that were doing really really i suppose big things for society or, or climate or the environment uh, and i here i am just making websites but one thing that i i'm really starting to understand that especially in the position as a leader is that you know, if you can impact one person in your team's day for the better every day the the spread of that, um, you know, across a team, across a community, across a city, across the world is is, is giant. So I'm really rethinking uh, what purpose means to me in business uh, and how much I love partnering with customers and, and clients that, that share a similar vision around a community and purpose. How do we help our communities? And that, I think that's something that we touch on a lot in this episode today. Uh, I'm doing an executive course at the moment. It's not really an executive course. It's more of a um, it's more of a deep dive into the human side of leadership. And one of the exercises we had to do yesterday was close our eyes and spend half an hour thinking of ourselves as a an old person, perhaps even you know lying lying in a hospital, looking back on your on your life and trying to reverse engineer what are the things that are really going to bring meaning to you know the rest of your career, my career, um, as you know. Hopefully the wise old Sam, I imagine still, you know, still looking amazing and in, in great health, even though I'm in the hospital. Maybe I'm in just in the hospital because, uh, I don't know, I'm getting a new uh, implant in, the, in my brain. Anyway, thinking about what have I done and what has it meant to me? What has it meant to my community? How have I impacted people positively in the world around me? And, you know, do I look back with, you know, a sense of regret or do I look back and think that, you know, I've actually, I've actually done something here. So a nice thought to jump into this podcast. Let's dive in with Emma, Sally, Catherine and Nicole, and I'll see you on the other side. Cheers. Humans aren't 
Humans Aren't Robots is the name of our podcast, which is actually one of the values that we have at DN. It actually came about because like, we, we build apps, we build websites. A lot of what we do potentially can be quite transactional. Right? It's, a, it's a tool for a business. Yeah. But what we found that we love is when we have partners and clients that are passionate about their customers, are passionate about what they're trying to bring into the world, and want a team that sort of shares those kind of values people helping people. We work with Viterra, who be aware yep, of, yep. Um, and build a tool for their growers. Yep. We were like so, I think, overwhelmed by the passion of the, the growers team on Viterra's end. Like they just care so much about their growers and yep. about how they can provide them more value. And, and like for us as designers and as, as developers, but that's fantastic. But that's the kind of thing that we want to do is help people that want to help their customers and are interested in learning from them too. Yeah, I think that there's agriculture and agribusiness generally and ag tech, that whole kind of spectrum. The industry is really motivated by the connection with the farmer in particular, but there is also a whole supply chain that, you know, goes from the farmer forward that's also really interesting. I think where one of the gaps can be is that often yeah, problems are, are approached with passion and connection, but often not with creativity. And so it's trying to bring, you know, a creative impulse and purpose to solving problems and to looking at like what are the problems that are actually worth solving versus just loving working with farmers. I mean, I, there's no one who I've ever met has who has kind of gone, oh, I, you know, oh, I hate farmers or I hate food or I hate agriculture or I hate farms. I mean, everybody loves dirt. They love farms, particularly in Australia. It's such a backbone industry for us and we all feel connected in some way. So it's trying to kind of leverage that connection into a creative place for purpose, I guess. Yeah. I think there's like a cliche around ag tech with those two words shouldn't go together, but realistically that doesn't exist, right? Farming has always been the process of improving technology. I mean, that's been a continuous improvement for millennia. Yeah. And I think that I imagine that the industry and the community are very focused on how, how can things be more efficient? How can we produce things at better quality, at a better scale, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. So the whole industry has been driven by innovation largely because margins are very skinny mm. in the industry and there's a lot of players taking out bits and pieces, you know, along the way. So that does create efficiency. Sometimes that efficiency actually creates problems down the track. We can think about broadacre monoculture farms that are super efficient, but then cause problems down the track. So this is where the creative piece comes in to really be thinking around what problem are we really solving here? Supply chain in and of itself has its own problems. Globalization has been super efficient has been really good for farmers and for consumers to a certain extent, but also exposes us to a lot of weakness in the supply chain. We saw that during COVID. I guess that's why I love what I do, because it's just an endless round of having to be intellectually curious, but really practical as well in the approach. I, th I think that's why people are coming to ag tech now as an industry and saying, oh, this is, I can actually be part of this. If I found it hard as a city person or, you know, with my background and I'm just speaking generically, to be connected to agriculture per se, one could be appreciative of it, but not actually participating in agriculture. And this is the application of technology to industry is something that everyone can participate in over time. Maybe just give me a little bit more context of your sort of day-to-day -day and, and your team. Cicada Innovations is a deep tech incubator, Australia's oldest. So we exist to solve some of the fundamental problems in the world in agriculture, in energy, in health, and we do it by building science and engineering-based businesses. So we have 43 businesses that are currently resident with us and they employ about 450 people and they do everything from diagnostics, therapeutics, medical devices, software as a medical device, 
ag tech companies, we have hardware companies, we have infrastructure companies, we have energy companies. I'm probably missing about 20 other companies. <laughs> but what is common amongst the thread of people there is they've found a pain point of significant size in the world that they inhabit and where they are typically in a workplace and in a corporate environment and they have gotten so frustrated by it mm. that they have spun out and used their R&D capabilities and their own science and engineering backgrounds to build those solutions. And we exist to support and nurture them and bring them to fruition and help build a much more complex economy in Australia. So we think really deeply about the work that we do because we believe that it's not about building just successful businesses, it's actually that in the generations to come, as a nation, we have to have a complex economy that's founded on science and engineering-based businesses to actually allow for prosperity, for people, for planet, and for opportunities for generations. And so that is only going to happen if we build these complex jobs that solve real-world problems that are experienced by, you know, people everywhere. And we make it something that is unique and can be done here at scale. Provides opportunities for kids everywhere. It'll provide opportunities for all of us to benefit. Even if we're not directly employed in it, we'll benefit from the outputs of those things. So that's kind of what we spend our days doing is thinking about how do we help with that and how do we remove every friction that we possibly can. And it really is then concentric circles sort of spreading out, isn't it? Absolutely. And you just never know what's going to come. And I've done that before where I've introduced people and they've come back to me three years later and like, oh yeah, they actually became my business development manager and we mm. went on to raise money and we did this thing. And I'm just like, that's amazing. And I'm like, what did I do? Oh, you just made us talk to each other at an event and told us what to talk to each other about. And so it was just, it's moments like that. And so you never know the impact you're going to have. So you may as well try for it. I come from the design community and spent a bunch of time in Europe, wasn't really doing much here in Adelaide and then left, came back and found Australia very kind of prohibitive in terms of community. There was a lot of us versus them and sort of like, no, this is our domain. We're all competing for the same dollars. So we need to keep our doors shut. Whereas in Europe, I'd say no, a bit more of kind of like, we're all sort of in this to bolster the, I suppose, the furthering of our discipline and, you know, help sort of stand on each other's shoulders so we can get somewhere else. We're competing, but do, do you see that here in Australia? And do you think that's changing that kind of the idea of competing for the same prize and not wanting to tell the patent secrets to the people down the road? I think that we're starting to see a transition. I, I talk about the transition from 20th century, mm. like leadership and hierarchy, control, power. The only reason why we're doing things is for economic means. Yeah. There's very hard boundaries around what the organization is. And then 21st century leadership is more about anchored in purpose has a mindset of abundance. It creates communities and ecosystems and the edges are blurred. Where does the organization end? The part of the ecosystem that organization fits within take over. When is it right to serve the needs of the entity versus the ecosystem? I think what we're seeing is globally, there is kind of this once in a century disruptional reckoning going on across multiple sectors. Mm. And so I think what you're also saying is if sectors don't pull together to reimagine their ecosystems, the whole ecosystem, like that whole sector may disappear. Yeah. And we're seeing, I think, more collaborative ecosystems kind of rise. I would say that I am taking just as many people from Australia to Israel and to Silicon Valley as I am from Asia or Europe, mm. which is part of what we do at Maximus. What I think is even more exciting is that having more phone calls from Israel saying, can we go meet with that cool Australian startup and work out how we do business together? That's a little signal for me that it's not all one way anymore. Yeah, that, things, are, things are changing. Yes. That's exciting. It's starting to change. So I think I'm really hopeful for Australia's future as an innovation nation.
I think it's already happening and we talk about it like it's this thing in the future. I think even over the last three days, we've proven we actually have a thriving startup community in Australia. It's incredible the things that people are solving. But this is obviously something that, you know, we, we talk about a lot, the sort of not wanting to sort of boast here in Australia until poppy syndrome, et cetera. But there's a, there's a lot of incredible, like last night, just talking to people, there's things that are happening you know, right here on our doorstep that I'm not aware of that are just incredible. And you, you don't hear about it, I think, as much as, as we should. We don't like foster that sense, valuing the kind of innovation that is happening and sort of trying to sort of project that out to the world outside of the startup community. Like within the community, maybe you hear about it, but not outside of it, I don't think. I think that's true. But I also think that uh, a lot of Australian business sectors are asleep at the wheel in terms of the disruption that's heading their way. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I think because we have this bubble, right? We're in an island, we have this little bubble and I'm the incumbent and I have been the incumbent for 20, 50, 100 years. And yeah. therefore I assume this position of arrogance and knowing as the incumbent, mm -hmm. complete lack of awareness. It only takes four or five startups to stitch their value chain together and yeah. suddenly you've been replaced. Exactly. And so like think from your perspective, thinking about 20th century kind of leadership thinking and, and business thinking going to 21st, like is the change generational, do you think, or is it more than that? Like, is it, is it just a shift in, I suppose, generational thinking or is there other things that have come into play and like, why are we, why are we more concerned about sort of value driven organizations or why are we more concerned about, um, the actual people that are in our teams that, as opposed to the bottom line now, like what, what's shifted there? You know, the history of leadership is a long one. I think the first theory written was called great man theory and the idea behind that leadership yeah. theory, that it's not rocket science, that you had to be born male yeah. and you had to be great and that people would follow you. And then it evolved through, you know, the revolutions and gets to the industrial revolution. And then something happened. There was a collision of thought leadership being documented academically mm. and a collision of exponential, the, the monolith organizations began. And as a result of that, we then kind of tuned this academic learning and generations of education where we sent people to university to learn that way. Yes. Even though it was designed for a manufacturing revolution. Sure. Where humans were genuinely on su like supply chain as a result of that. And we haven't really updated it. No. And so what you, I think we're seeing is this well overdue reckoning where people are voting with their wallets. Yep. And they're voting with where they place their careers around if I'm going to spend a third of my life or a third of my waking hours mm. with this organization, what is the purpose of that organization and how do I feel I am contributing and living my purpose while being a part of that organizational purpose? And so I think it's been genuinely coming for a number of decades. Mm. I think that you're starting to see more leaders willing to step into the spotlight of leadership not perfectly curated yeah, sure. with that imperfection, willing to go out on a limb and get a little bit messy mm -hmm. and make some bold statements. Thinking about purpose and purpose-led organizations mm. and, and profit for purpose and some of these, it, it seems to be resonating much more with the, the generations under me. Totally. I still think you know, it's probably looked upon as kind of a, a bit of a woo-woo thing potentially, right? But I feel yeah. like younger people are really interested in it and, and, and wanting to have careers that align to their values personally. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. And I think that maybe that's the challenge for the employer, you know, of now and the future mm. is how do you keep young people tapped into your workplace if you can't cultivate a sense of purpose? 
And we know that people are willing to pay more for a product that does have that purpose-led enterprise component of it. So it's certainly not about the money. I think people want to feel better about the decisions they're making in their day-to-day lives, not only about where they spend their money, but also how they spend their time. And I think one of the worries is sort of, you know, corporate co-opt in that and sort of, you know, (laughs) just sort of rebranding it. But for example, something that my, my team really love when they're delivering stuff for partners that they can see the benefit from. Even just having a client come in and say like, you know, the work you've done for us has has benefited our organization and we're so happy. Like they're like, great, you know, we've brought something into the world. It doesn't necessarily have to be saving the world. I don't think. I think maybe there is a bit of a, maybe a misconception that purpose always needs to be fully sort of philanthropic or, you know, world changing. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be. Purpose can be across a very wide spectrum. Yeah. And look, I think purpose and passion are like funny words, right? Because what if you haven't found them? Yeah. And then it feels like this elusive yeah. mystery and you, you hate the find. people yeah. that live this like purpose. You find your passion and you're eye rolling because you're like, oh, passion. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I actually think it's about finding, identifying the stuff that you hate yeah. as well. Yeah. You can either work to change the stuff that you hate or they're great markers of things to move away from. Sometimes when you move further away from the things that you despise, you actually get closer to the things that you love. That's actually how we went through the process of defining our values as, as a business. When I'm hiring, I'm, I'm really looking for the things that I don't want. I think mm. it's much easier to find the things that you don't want or the people you don't want to work with mm. than necessarily trying to find that sort of one nugget of like, this is why I was put on earth. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a scary place, I think, for young people when they get that question of what do you want to be when you yeah. grow up? And I mean, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. No. So how is a 14 yeah. year old going to know the answer <laughs> to that? Yeah, I, I think it's a bad question, to be honest. Yeah. Like what types of things would you like to get involved yeah. with? Or what's your best next? I yeah. love that. Like mm. you, when you leave school, what's your best next decision? And then what might be the best next decision after that? And really it's just one big pivot map, right? Like you get, you have an experience and then it changes your direction. I think that's really exciting. I, I, I wish that was the narrative that I had because I really did feel like you have to pick oh. the thing yeah, and then you're locked in. Yeah. Whereas, Do know, the school, get the job be the human. Yeah. Like, I literally ran away yeah. from it because I was like, well, I'm not ready for the thing yet. Yeah. I'm still not ready for the well, thing. Well, I haven't found my passion. Yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, it's a very interesting space you play. And I think that education is the, is the way we sort of can change some of these narratives mm. and, and start sort of, this is our future, right? This is what we need to be doing. But I, I definitely think bringing that into the business community is really important. We're lucky we're in design and creative, like we're sort of ahead of the curve, I think. Mm. I think you're right. The COVID's helped. I hope some of it sticks around yeah. you know, and doesn't just become sort of a a fad yeah way because, back because it's not just about like we're pretty we have flexible work policies etc mm-hmm. but it's not just about yeah great you can work from home if you want to raise a family or if you mm-hmm. if you have a side hustle or whatever you're interested in how can my workplace help facilitate that for you mm-hmm. and you know yes i need value from you as an employee yeah, absolutely but like, what can i give back to you so we can have that sort of symbiosis yeah i think it's super curious to think about the generation that we've got now it's probably the first generation in history or one of the first generations where children are being reared in homes where both parents are like working in a way. If we go back in time, like there were small communities with extended family looking after the young people. Mm. We don't have that anymore. The nature of having to pay for things and like affordability means that you need often to income earners in the household in order to make ends meet. And I mean, we have to admit that that has massive flow on effects in how we do family and how we do life. Yeah. If we're spending 40 to 60 hours a week at work, how do we raise a family and also carve out time, especially when we've got our tech on us all the time and yeah. we're constantly on. <laughs> so I think there is a responsibility for workplaces to make that easier yeah. because the more that you can actually create a space where people feel good in their home, in their personal lives, they're actually going to bring their best selves to work and you're going to get greater value out of them. 
we're looking to grow our team towards the end of this year. And part of the process of that is that I just want everybody to be on point eight. Like I want them to be paid really well, yeah. but I just wanted it to be a four day a week work week yeah. because, you know, with that extra day in 30 hours, you're going to get as much value as, as 40. Like most people mm. tend to sort of destroy at least eight hours a week in kind of mindless things. But if, if that provides people that work for me a better opportunity to do life outside of work, then I'm going to get the best versions of them working for me. And that's where we get great value. How many do you have working for you now? We've got a bunch of facilitators that work with us. And then I've got like a director of operations who's like a wizard behind the scenes. Nice. But we're looking to grow the team of educators that we work with and bring on another two educators at the end of this yeah, year. Cool. I've personally gone to four days and I've found... I still work on the other day, but I'm not, I don't have meetings and I don't have yeah. space. I, I really think that it's a way forward. Mm -hmm. I think that you're going to have happier humans at, at work yeah. and you're going to get more out of the time. I think more focused time out of the, the time you're at work because yeah. it's, it's a drain sitting in a desk eight hours a day. I can't do it. No. And if you think about like typical offices, right, you don't work consistently for eight hours. When I was working in schools at a head of here, we were in a very large school and I was running a cohort of 550. And I remember thinking that I was constantly interrupted. And so for one day, I kind of hit a timer every time I started work and then I would stop it mm. when I was interrupted just to see how much uninterrupted time I got. Yeah. And for an entire day, the most un uninterrupted time I got was six and a half minutes. Wow. I mean, how can you be productive yeah, in that space? You, you, you literally can't. And I think we've got to think about how even when we're working from home, we've obviously now plugged in tech like Slack. And if that's constantly pinging, that's also breaking people's focus. Our multitasking is a myth. Like every time you look to your phone to check what the notification is, you effectively break the concentration of the task that you're doing. Yeah. So how do we get better quality work time rather than more work? And I think that, I mean, our concentration is fragmented as well. Not growing up with these in our pockets, but yeah. I, mean, I, I don't even know what the sort of the concentration span of someone that, that has been born into, you know, having a calculator in your pocket. I about you, but I find myself sometimes like a movie will be on looking at my phone <laughs> and yeah. I'm also looking at something else and I'm like, what am I doing? Just watch the movie. I can't focus on anything singular. It's really hard. But it makes, I think, then it impacts on our, our rest and our sleep where our brains are constantly pinging when we go to bed and mm. then we wake up feeling exhausted and tired and the cycle continues again. How do we create spaces to disconnect from our tech, particularly when we employ people? How do we make it okay for our people who work for us to switch off yep. and not to read emails and not to reply to messages? And there's an onus of responsibility on the people that are in leadership positions 100%. to draw a line. Also to not only lead it by example, but also call people out when they are working too late. Because yeah. if your staff are doing crazy hours, sending emails at 11 o'clock at night, mm. how are you not having a conversation with them about balance and about their workload? It's a really interesting point because I've like, been you know, 15 years of my own business and I was in a once I started hiring people about 10 years ago, it was constantly on. I would re mm. reply to emails at like you know, four in the morning. And, yeah. and I actually had a member of staff come on and, and she was really good. She called me out. She's like, you can't keep doing this yeah. for, for yourself. But also it's, it sets such a bad example. And I, I listened and it's something that we're really strong about at work. Mm. We're not working after, you know, whenever yeah. we clock off. Because it is that the culture of that is, it's not the good for anybody. Culture, right? yeah, it's not good for anybody though. Like I, th I think we need to separate, like we may be able to work in a sort of a, a, a way where I might be working at night, right? And I might be not working during the day. The hours don't matter, but there needs to be space where we're, we're not switched on. And I think maybe it's different for the founder, right? Yeah. Like if it's your business and your baby and sure. you want to work at two o'clock in the morning, like go for it. I'll set the email to send it like at Yeah, you time it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that then nobody else yeah. knows that you're up at two o'clock in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I think it is about that. You're right. It's that culture setting. Yeah. I think it's about saying what you do with your time 
working is great, but if you've got staff, you have an onus of responsibility to protect their well-being. Yeah. You can't just look the other way when you get those emails late at night or when your staff come in really anxious and stressed. I know that that pressure pushes up and you've got deadlines and stuff that you need to do, but mm. the responsibility of a founder or a business owner or, or a leader is yeah. to actually create space for well-being for your staff. And that means you actually have to look at those things when they come up and address them yeah. and then set sort of things in motion to make that more possible for your staff to actually work in a healthy way. I think that does trickle back down from a change of business just being about make as much money as humanly yeah. possible to actually giving a damn about what it is you're doing and, and yeah. why you're doing it. Because it, it is that shift, right? Because mm. if it's all just about efficiency and making dollars, then great if my staff are working out of hours mm. and I'm not paying them, I'll get the most out of them possible. Yeah. And I know people that think like that. But before tech, I don't think it was possible, no. right? Like you did your nine to five, even when you worked in like big beastie organizations, yeah. like you didn't have Clocked like off. emails all the time. Mm. Like you weren't at your desk with your phone there. Like you couldn't be reached. Yeah. Your boss wasn't going to call you on your landline yeah. and interrupt your family <laughs> dinner. That was a rarity. Yeah. Yeah. So this technology has almost like blurred the lines yeah. between work and life and so it's actually our responsibility particularly in leadership positions mm. to actually get some clarity and transparency around where that line starts and ends and i think the startup hustle is a super curious one to look at because you kind of then end up picking people that grind right and but you grind them out of the business i hate the hustle culture anybody who sits up there and says like i'm in the 4 a.m club and i like i'm super productive like that's fine i work better in the morning too and i get up but i'm not gonna tell other people how to read the yeah exactly i just i remember sitting down with this founder once who'd left this like high-paying corporate job and she was working in this purpose-led organization doing incredible work and she kind of just expressed to me that her personal relationships were struggling because she was doing so many hours she didn't have time for her family and her kids because she was doing killer hours and financially she was like terribly worse off for doing this purpose at all rather than obviously the high paying job that she had and I remember looking at her and going man is it worth it yeah she was like oh but you know the children and the people that we're helping and I was like no I'm deadly serious when you're 85 and on your deathbed or 105 or 155 if life like gets extended something crazy <laughs> and you have nobody around you because your work has destroyed relationships with your partner and your kids we have to protect those relationships more than anything else because we're creatures that love to belong Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It is Sam Davies here again. Thank you so much to Emma, Sally, Catherine and Nicole for, for your time last year. Some really cool stuff that we've touched on uh, in this episode. Like I mentioned up front, I think that there is a lot more to explore here. And it's something that I'm very interested in doing in future seasons. If that's something you'd like to be involved with, please reach out. Or if there's any feedback that you have on the episode or you'd like to get in touch with any of our guests or just have a chat, Feel free to, uh, you know, comment wherever you see the podcast or, or hit us up at, at Digital Noir on, on Instagram or, or LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. We're, we're definitely keen to continue conversations. And I think for me, this this whole idea of, you know, starting a podcast in the first place now, you know, five years ago, now we're in a world of a sea of podcasts. Everybody has a bloody podcast. But for me, it was just about about starting conversations and and you know, selfishly locking myself in a room with someone where we had our phones turned off and we could just sit eyeball to eyeball having a chat, which I really, really, really have a lot of gratitude to be able to do and, and looking forward to seeing what we can do in the future uh, with Humans Aren't Robots. So until next week, it's been a pleasure and uh, thanks so much for listening.